Hey, what's going on? It's your girl T Hardaway. And it's Michael Basil. And together we are the Did It For The Hood podcast. Indeed. Absolutely. Glad to see y'all again. Um, or hear y'all again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so today we have a special guest with us. Uh, this is somebody I went to law school with and time has just moved on. Uh, so his name is Michael Burtz Jr. Esquire. Um, he is a sports agent and an attorney in the state of Florida. And I don't want to step on his credits and get them all mixed up. So I'm just going to keep it very basic and let him introduce himself more through the interview. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on with us today. No problem at all, family. I didn't want to step on your credits. I was like, he probably did a lot more things than this, so I'm not going to step on it. But, um, Mike, I appreciate you for being on. Um, The number one thing I want to know for your first question is, tell me your story. Gotcha. So... Uh, first and foremost, thank you both for having me on your platform. You know, I've tuned in to a few of your episodes and I love it. So I, w- I just want to pay homage and respect to both of you. Really appreciate it, bro. No, no problem at all. If y'all not, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe after you listen to this episode. Please, please, please subscribe. That's love, love. <laughs> but um, I was born and raised in a, a, a small town south of Miami. It's still Miami-Dade County, but um, it's called uh, Florida City. Um, just for a fun fact, it's the last city in Dade County um, before you get to the Keys. So it's uh, Exit 1. If you, if you ever go across my um, my Instagram, you'll see that I, I frequently post about it. I put a hashtag, Exit 1. Um, but after, you know, talking about that briefly, born and raised in Florida City, I attended um, law school at FAMU with you. Uh, Prior to that, I was a student athlete at Lynn University and Southern Illinois Edwardsville um, in Illinois. How I got from the last city in Dade County to Illinois was because of basketball. Um, I'm grateful for for the sport. You know, it changed my life. Um, It gave me a multitude of opportunities. Uh, I got to see the world. Um, I gained a passport from it. Because I never had one before. Um, and then, you know, it led me while I was there. You know, I obtained my political science degree. And post-grad, I was kind of like, man, do I go play ball overseas? Do I go teach? Because that's normally what people do when they have a poli-sci background. They go get their master's and they become a professor. Or they do the the standard route, which is go to law school. And I did my homework. And after talking with my my current wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, because she was dead set on going to law school, too. You know, she was also, you know, 99 percent of the reason I wanted to do it anyways. Um, she was like, yeah, go, go for it. I mean, why not? It's just when I got there, and you'll find out after the, you know, when you ask me more questions. So I don't want to give it away um, too easy. Sports agency wasn't my primary focus when I got to law school. It wasn't when I till I got to law school that I was like, oh, I could do this and merge both worlds together, my athletic background and the legal background to get to where I'm at now. So that's that's me in a a, a short little nutshell. Okay. So who encouraged you to play ball in the first place? Oh man, that was my pops. Um and that's also instrumental and to who I am as well. Um you know, I grew up with, with both parents and I'm grateful for that. I, I live my life accordingly because most people don't get dealt that hand. 
especially being an African-American man and having another African-American man in your life, you know, um, statistically, that's, that's not really done. You know, I don't want to, you know, um, be cliche with that, but it was my pops to answer your question. He put the rock in my hand. He played, um, then go off to college. So, you know, I took the baton from him and ran with it. Um, and I ended up, like I said, obtaining a scholarship. And then it's crazy. I passed the baton to my little brother because I didn't play pro, but he ended up going uh, to play pro uh, internationally. So it's full circle. That's so dope. Yeah. So, um, so you said your pops put the rock in your hand. Mm-hmm. What was the first place that you started to actually play and like hone your skills? Uh, our local uh, police athletic league. So just for education, uh, there's two neighboring cities um, in in exit one. So there's you have Florida City and then you have Homestead. Homestead statistically is more more of a place where more resources are pumped into. Um, you know, you'll see you'll find more businesses, you know, better pieces of property, land values are higher while Florida City as a whole population wise is, is one of the poorest places in, if not the or one of the poorest places in Miami-Dade County. And they, they're separated by literally one street. It's mm-hmm. called uh, Chrome Avenue. Sorry, not Chrome Avenue, Lucy Street. Lucy Street separates both both of them. You have Homestead to the left and Florida City to the right. So using that to my advantage, you know, only 1.1 mile, one mile away, 1.2 miles away, I used to walk there all the time. We used to go to the Homestead Police Athletic League, POW, uh, for short. And there would be after-school activities, tut- like tutoring, um, playing basketball, weightlifting, things like that. And you will see local men in the neighborhood. They would take us underneath their wing and coach us up. So I started that when I was 10. And I was there all the way up to, uh, what, 14, 15, before I ended up going to the the high school to play. So that was a real, real important piece of my foundation. Did you ever have any dreams or plans of playing in the NBA or playing overseas? Man, I, I, man, <laughs> I tell you, like every, I think every young, you know, black boy, man, I did, like, I really did. I thought I was going, man, going to the doctor. My doctor told me y'all that I was gonna be seven feet, so I knew I was. I was like, all right, I, I, I got a shot. You know, I'm six five, six six, six six on a good day. You know, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't want to gas my height, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought for sure I was going. You know, I, I. I bust my butt and try to hone my craft to the best of my ability to put myself in that position. But ultimately, you know, it wasn't in my cards. And I was I was okay with that my last year of undergrad. Like I was like, all right, you know what? Cool. You know, I'm not a star like I was in high school. I'm not, you know, a, a, a cornerstone of this team, but I still got my education. And, you know, I was cool with that. So how was your time when you okay, so you got your you you didn't make it to the league, but how was your time in Southern Illinois? I loved it. 
I loved it to a degree because that was my first time really being uh, so far away from home. And ultimately that growth and development being on my own, I had to, to, to sink or swim. So it forced me to, you know, wake up on time, be disciplined to get work done, you know, do your laundry, feed yourself. You know, my mom and dad ain't there. You know what I mean? And, you know, I ultimately got to meet people for the most part from different areas of the United States. So like I had teammates from Chicago, Detroit, you know, different sit small towns in Illinois or hell, even playing teams that was from all over. Like we played University of Illinois, Illinois State, uh, got to play on ESPN against Murray State, uh, different things like that. So I think that exposure really, really played a part in like, hey, like it's it's other places out here in the world you need to see, be around, meet. Because it's it's cool stuff, man. Especially when y'all moving in the same way, you know. Yeah, yeah. Was, was there any a... culture shock? Oh, oh, go ahead, Mike. Okay. <laughs> so, was there any culture shock when you were at school? Yes, because like I'm I'm a I'm a Southern boy because most of my family is is from like Georgia and they migrated down south. But obviously, growing up, everybody here in Miami speaks Spanish. They got some type of Latin or, or Caribbean background. Man, I got to Illinois. It was none of that. The, the, the most diversity I saw was maybe, you know, somebody of, of, of Asian descent. But it was black, white. That's it. No, none, nothing of that uh, of that um, uniqueness at all. So I think that was the biggest culture shock for me. And then, I mean, from a geography standpoint, just it's cornfields everywhere. Like, I'm used to the beach. You know, I, <laughs> I'm used to the, you know, uh, the nice weather, you know, seeing snow, like, oh, man, it was treacherous, but I made it. <laughs> well, what made you switch schools? Why did you leave Southern Illinois? Just full transparency for your podcast. And hey, I'm going to give y'all the, I haven't said this on nobody else's pop, uh, platform, but that decision was my biggest regret. Because ultimately, I, it was a decision based on not my, my, my head, but my heart. Being young, stubborn at the time, I, I wasn't playing. And instead of doing, being a man about the situation, I put it like that. You know, getting better, owning your stuff, I ran away from it. And that was my first time, you know, being slapped with pressure and I folded tremendously and, and a lot of times in life you can't you can't run for pressure you know what I mean and I look back on that a lot because it's a decision where it's like man what if you would have stayed you know double down on your hours in the gym like you did at the pal to get that scholarship to get there you know your, your life maybe could have been different. Ultimately, maybe I would have played pro. That was a Division One university. I ended up going to Lynn, which is a Division Two. To some, it, it, that's a step down, you know, for the most part. And I live with that constantly. Now, you know, it, it, it's a lesser effect on me now, but I, I, I think about that a lot. I'm like, man, you know what? If I would have hung in there and that, you know, I'm grateful for it, though, because it made me for who I am now. Um to give me, you know, that fortitude because, like I said, you get dealt a hand, sometimes you can't 
can't run away from it. Ain't no reset with life, you know? So. Do you think, do you think that the regret from that decision fueled you when you were in law school? Oh, big time. Because it prepped me for when that, for when that real monster came uh, after that third year, that bar. I was like, ain't no running from this. Like, you you, you got to eat it. And ultimately, I'm a retaker, just full transparency with that. Like, I I got to, and, and again, that's why I go back to that SIUE decision. Um, I missed the bar by one point. I got a 135 my first time. I was sick, and I studied with my wife. She ended up passing her first time. So you already know that cloud was over me. Like, I'm like, oh, man, let alone the two people we also studied with, they passed as well on their first time. So I was like, oh, my heart. But I went back to that day. I was like, you know what? You either going to face it or you're going to run away like you did and, and, and transfer to, to another school like, or, you know, to a similar circumstance for transferring for me to the bar would be not take the bar anymore because you missed it by one point, you know? So, yeah. Okay. So you mentioned briefly that, like, when you started out, you didn't necessarily want to even be a sports agent. Mm-hmm. You know, let me back up because you just said something kind of important. Um, how did you deal with that cloud of not passing your first time? I mean, I I try to be respectful because, you know, everybody believes in something, but whatever you believe in, you got to find it outside of yourself. Like for me, it's God. Like I, I'm not the, the, the most perfect Christian. You know, I don't want to say like my walk is perfect because I think a lot of people, when they think about religion, like your walk is, has to be perfect from the jump. It's a daily walk. Like it's, it's a, it's, it's a lifelong journey of discipline. And through that, man, I I ultimately just gave it to him. I'm like, look, like straight up, like I don't I don't have the will to do this anymore. But through you, like, could you could you give, give me something? Like I just need a little bit extra something. And then two, again, it was that that moment at SIUE. It's like, man, I don't want to be known as no quitter, man. Mm-hmm. Like, like my legacy is is important to me. Like how how how, how I'm walking. And say, you know, I'm this and I'm that when, you know, I can't even get through an exam. It ain't even like it's a human being. <laughs> like it's a piece of paper with, 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 with a few questions on it. And I'm gonna let this get the best of me. That ate me up. And it was it was primarily faith, man. Like it, it really, it really battle tested me. And I, I I knew I couldn't do it alone. And then ultimately my support system externally, you know, my family, my lady. Um, you know, my different mentors that I got, you know, so that that was cool. And then like y'all, y'all podcast too. I'm first generation. I had to do it for the hood. I don't want to be cliche. <laughs> that's real. Yeah. That's real. That's the whole purpose of why we're um even doing this type of podcast because it's oh, a lot man. of things that you run into when you first gen. Nobody mm-hmm. can tell you about it. Like you run it straight into walls. Like, oop, okay, didn't know that was there. I appreciate it, man. The transparency is very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you didn't come into law school knowing you even wanted to be a sports agent. So how did that even translate for you? Like, how did that come about? So when I got there, I got to law school and 
another thing too, Miami is full of athletic talent. Like I grew up with with kids and and and, and um for the most part that were going to, to high profile universities like UM, Louisville, mm-hmm. University of Georgia, myself to Southern Illinois. Like we all were were going and a few of them were turning pro. And I saw the people that was representing them. I was doing my homework and I'm like, oh, okay. They they went to law school. Some of them just stopped. And also some of them just became lawyers. And they representing, you know, people that look like me, you know, <laughs> on the other end, without having to to go out there and uh, you know, run or catch touchdowns or or, or score a basket. You can still be involved in the game, but just on the on, on the outside. And then I kept digging and I'm looking, I was like, oh, owners of teams got um legal backgrounds. You mm-hmm. got uh you got executives that work in the front office, people that select you and when you go in the draft, they got legal backgrounds. And I was like, oh, okay. This is a space for me with, with this JD. I don't necessarily just got to be a lawyer. Like, you could be a lawyer for a team. And mm-hmm. it, it was something I kept digging at. And I was like, you know what? As soon as uh, 1L year hit, there was none, nothing else that I wanted to do. Like, I blocked out everything else. Like, all that going to get a clerkship and, and you know, going to the PD's office, district attorney's office for an internship. Like, my my peers did in law school. I was like, nope, it's not for me. And ironically, I became one of the only students who, who really wanted to do that. You know, you know, a lot of people didn't want to sacrifice that, especially with no, I don't want to say fam didn't help, but there wasn't anyone like myself fully committed to it. You know, so I had to figure it out. You know, it's so funny. That's actually how I kind of connected with Mike because Mike and I both were taking alternative routes. Mm-hmm. So he was going to sports agent way, and I was interested in like cannabis law. Yes. And everybody was doing the traditional clerkship, duh, 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 duh. but I'm like, no, it's, it's other options. Yeah. And you know, can you speak to that too? Because that's a, a thing too. Like, if you're trying to be doing something different when everybody when the crowd is all going in one direction mm-hmm. can you talk about how important it is to stick to your guns oh yes you gotta you gotta stand on you gotta stand on all 10 like i like to call it i mean because following i feel like when you i don't want to say following is wrong because i feel like we in a special place now uh where there there are a lot of lead, leaders now and I, I, I want to emphasize this. There's a lot of leaders now, but there's not enough good followers. And one thing how I was brought up, you got to be a good follower in order to be a good leader. You know, that's that's not a cycle work. And I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying you can't go out to jump and be a leader in your own right, especially like us. Like you said, we, we were forced to when situations happen like that. You know, you are forced to. But you have to when you want to go that route of the non-traditional way you got to understand that you're going to get talked about you're going to get looked at crazy and it's almost in a way like man people feel sorry for you because they 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 literally like hey i'm gonna be here for you but i'm just waiting for the day to tell you i told you so mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> and yep. that's really what it was i had a law student 
and I'm not going to, you know, say the name. They told me flat out, like, you crazy. Why are you doing it? Like, you, you should not be doing this. I tried it, and it didn't work for me. And I'm looking, I'm like, you know what? You ain't me. Exactly. I, you you weren't really, you weren't willing to put it all on the line. And a lot of times when you get blessed, it literally to be that last inch you need. Full mm-hmm. circle moment for me. Like me, that last inch I needed was the bar. I needed one point. Mm-hmm. If you walk away from that inch, how you know what was going to be on the other side? You know, and, and it's it's not overnight. Nobody processes overnight. And I think in our profession, especially, you have a lot of people who are forced under pressure with student loans. So they feel like I got to get a job right away, you know, or, or, or you know, families they have to support. And, and that's fine. But I think you, you should stay true to your guns, like you said, because that's that's what makes you you. And a byproduct of being a leader like you, like I know whenever I got a referral or a question, I automatically go can go to you because you carved out your niche in school. Like, hey, I'm going to become the expert in cannabis. You know, same the vice versa with me. Like I get referrals now, which is cool. Mike was the expert in sports law and sports or the sports representation space. Absolutely. So when it, go ahead. Go ahead. So um when it comes down to just the whole idea of people just talking at you and just like saying things like um because the key word that popped out to me was like this didn't work out for me and so how do you feel like you i guess stay grounded in that time Mm. again just going back to faith Mm. and a lot of times i sought out stories that was either similar or worse than mine. A lot of times, too, we feel like we can't do things. It was people dealt with worse hands than you that made it through. And when I sought them out, when I saw stories and I was seeing people who were either Im- like immigrants, mama died, daddy died, or, you know, not, not to, to be too explicit, but were molested or had, like, serious traumas and broke through. And I'm like, man, hey, I, I grew up not wealthy or whatever like we had it hard but I, I don't i don't know i don't know what it is to go to a shelter or or whatever or have the lights off you know six months out of the year we had ours off but not that much so i was like oh okay if they can do it going through hell like that i know i'm gucci like that that that's why i did it and i feel like a lot of people when they're going through the internal battles they don't do that enough instead of just thinking, why me, why me, why me? You know, like it, it, it's some folks worse situations than, than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you think that school prepared you? Like, okay, because you were a student athlete. So mm-hmm. do you think that they prepared you enough for life after basketball? No. And I and I and that's not in uh a way to discredit, you know, my school, because it was great. But I think at that time period, you don't have what you have now. I think more people are aware, you know, we're from a similar generation. It was, since there was so many people in dire need of first generation law students, first generation lawyers, we were only gunning for that one thing. 
instead of, hey, you know what? You need to know what credit is. You need to know what mm -hmm. uh, a mortgage is. You need to know what life insurance is, you know, because education is only a piece of the puzzle. It really is. It's only one piece of the puzzle. There's other doors and, 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 and um, pieces of the puzzle on the back end that we all need need to discover and know to be full, like holistic, you know what I'm saying? And, and again, I don't fault my schools for that. It's just that, that consciousness didn't come until I feel like now when there's more debt, people can't afford to buy homes. People aren't, you know, panning out, you know, the way that they thought and they looking back like, Hey, I should have known it. I wish my school would have did this for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say no. Mm. Okay. What was your experience like in school, in law school particularly? I loved it because one, that was my my HBCU experience that I always wanted that I couldn't get. Like I went to a predominantly white institutions. Um, but the other side of the coin, I, I hated it because you know, at that time when I was in law school, there were programs that I didn't know about. Well, I don't want to say I didn't know about, I knew about them, but while I was in school, they were starting to carve out um, their niche in sports and entertainment. Like I was doing my homework and I saw Marquette's UM right down the street is top five for sports and entertainment on. I was kind of like, ah, like, you know, first two years, I was like, dang, you know, should I transfer? you know, to try to be in that mix, but ultimately I didn't have to. And we can get on, I don't want to get out of way too early, <laughs> but something big ended up happening for me because I was a Rattler. So I, I, I don't want to jump too early because I know you're going to ask me. I was going to ask you a question about, because you, you said something interesting too, like, do you think that the education you received at HBCU was, uh, on the level of the other institutions? Yes, it was. The only caveat I will say was the the preparation for the bar. I felt like majority of my time in school was just because you got to think since there's so many first-generation attorneys, we had to really just understand the embodiment of like just the substantive law itself. Mm -hmm. Instead of programming us for an exam mm -hmm. it's hard to do that in three years or four or, or four years because i know some people part-time as well so it's it's hard to just reprogram yourself so fast but i think i mean it's the same case law like we learned the same cases it's just it's two different um it's two different competencies you gotta have right during those three years or four years you got to have the competency of the craft itself, which is the legal education. Then you got to get the competency your last year or your last two years to get you ready for, for that test. And that's two sets of reprogramming. So the reprogramming that you had to do mentally, um, could you break down kind of some of the things that you also had to do? Because I feel like that's a big thing that is not really talked about, especially when it comes to first-gen students in whatever capacity that like I'm having to train my brain on like a whole nother time, time frame so I can be sure I'm prepared out of here. Yeah, like that. So the biggest thing, 
to wrap it into one thing, the biggest reprogramming hurdle I went through in school was application. Mm. I knew I know how to keep information. I knew I knew how to read mm. information, process information, but I could never take it and apply that to whatever was in front of me. That was the biggest disconnect. And I was like, oh my God, like what is going on? Like, but I had to think about it. We so used to what? Cramming. Memorizing. Uh, right. <laughs> Memorizing. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I get to the test. Oh, and that's it. Them first, that first year, y'all can add that effect later. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I got hit right in the mouth. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. And I'm like, okay, you know, and then I noticed every comment or, or or opportunity I had to meet with my professor, they was like, you know, you know it. You know the stuff. You just not applying it correctly. And that's that's honestly the, the biggest thing to answer your question, Mike. What was one of the most unexpected things that happened to you during your law school process? Meeting an alum that was uh at the peak of her game because mm -hmm. i thought you had to be from a pwi to be really a leader in this space and i'm so grateful for her um she was uh, an attorney at one of the big well if not the biggest entertainment brands in uh the world which is uh viacom they're, they're they merged with paramount now and that gave me my internship, which I was leading towards in the earlier question. I ain't want to give away um, my, my 2L year in New York City. Best year of my life. Best year because I got to see both lanes. I got to see the entertainment side. But also through her, I was able to meet um, another lawyer right across the street because how New York is set up. You all know right there. You in Brooklyn. Um Right across the street over uh, on 6th Avenue is the, the the Players Union office for the NBA. And I was meeting Black attorneys over there. And I, I'm telling you, like, that exposure was incredible because I I didn't see it. I didn't know what it looked like. And I'm like, to see people that look like me, whether it was a male or a female, I was like, I know I can do it. Like, I'm like, all right, cool. Mm. So what were you doing that summer? So I was on the business and legal affairs team at Viacom. So the thing, my day-to-day -day was mostly catered to Aziza's um, production um, risk. She was a, sorry, production risk attorney. So there's different compliance and legal matters that each uh, production. So a production would be your favorite TV series. So at that time, without giving away too much, um, she was predominantly involved in love and hip hop. So I was going over different things that like, I had to vet each um, individual that was gonna appear on the episode. So they call them talent. Like when you're, when you're involved in an episode, you're called talent and you have to be vetted because why? Viacom has a band, uh, sorry, a brand to protect. They don't want to let, just let any anybody and anybody, anybody or anyone on the, the episode. So 
you know, could you imagine not not doing a background check on someone who maybe had a a a, a crime of, of of some serious stuff, you know, like a crime of moral turpitude, like rape, robbery, whatever, you know. Um, so we we vetted everyone, you know, or if there was a child that was maybe going to be be involved, we had to make sure we had certain permits, we got certain clearance from the state or the city, because the city is also involved in that as well. Um, um, it was also the big thing for me too, learning with her was just networking. Like, it's cool to sit behind a desk and be good at what you do, but you also got to meet folks. You know, folks got to know you, you know, because that go a long way, you know? Talk about it. Mm-hmm. it. That can be more important sometimes than what you learn in school. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> big time. So what were some of the challenges that you faced post-law school? Post-law school, um, the biggest challenge I faced was really realizing did I want to continue the the pursuit of the, you know, the the lawyer designation. And then also, too, moving back home to Miami, I was like, ah, I faced another hurdle. I didn't know anybody, and that goes back with networking. I didn't know about anybody in the city that had a sports or entertainment practice. And it was kind of like, man, you know, majority of the firms here, they do insurance, personal injury. And I'm like, all right, that stuff is cool. You know, I'm like, that's that's fine or whatever. But then I ultimately um, took my agent, agent license um, exam. Cause you have to do that in order to be a, 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 a MBA agent. I took that in New York city as well before COVID. Now it's all virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, I took that and I was like, all right, I can pause the bar for a little bit and just concentrate on being an agent, learn that game, you know? And I ended up ultimately uh, meeting a, a um, African-American man who had his own agency and it was just coming off the ground and he built it up um, from the ground up. And I was like, okay, all right. You know, just shadow, learn the game, learn what to do, what not to do. And, you know, it paid dividends for me because that led me into my current position now, which is agent and uh, vice president of basketball operations with um, another agency called Promondo Sports. And I got this role from networking. I was trying to sell the president of the group was the former director of scouting for the Milwaukee Bucks. So what the director of scouting does, they they have different scouts that report to them for the organization. Mm-hmm. And they tell, they gather all the information, they tell the GM, hey, you know, this player is good, this player fits our needs, et cetera. And the GM ultimately decides whether they sign whether the team signs the player or they pass on him. And I was trying to sell him one of my players at the time who was coming out of school. And we stayed in touch. And I was kind of like on the fence with my old group because I was about to purchase a home and money came an issue, you know. And, uh, you know, although I don't, I don't like it to be a lot of times, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm about I'm about to get married. I'm like, I'm about to be a man of a house. Like, it was time to make some big boy decisions. And ultimately leaving his group because the the 
former director of scouting gave me a call. Like, look, like we just won the champ NBA championship. I'm either going to be an assistant GM or I am going to start my own agency. I feel like I'm more inclined to starting my own agency because, you know, of my NBA experience. And just to wrap this in a, in, in a nice little conclusion, I, I ended up going with that. And, you know, I've been here ever since. And that's two years ago, going on two years. You know, so it, it's been it's been very, very cool. Like I, I currently have four athletes um, that I co-represent with him that are in the NBA now. I love to hear that. Oh, mm -hmm. my God. That did my heart some good. Appreciate that. For mm -hmm. sure, man. I love to see people thriving, especially people I know. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, so you're a sports agent. I, I, I deem that you're a successful sports agent at this point in time. Um. How has that been having a brother that also plays professional sports? Do you represent him? Yes. Okay. So I, I, I handle all my brother's um, legal matters. So everything contract-wise, like, but he, the reason I say legal matters is because he's, he's overseas. So any contract with a team overseas, like, I review it. I look over it like, hey, you know, we should put this in, put this in, we should take this out, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that was also a part that I didn't mention played a role in for me as well. Cause I saw him blossoming when he was in college. Like, Oh yeah, you need to, you need to be ready. Instead of waiting for the time to, to get wait, step, instead of waiting for the day for the, uh, to get ready, just already be prepared because he's, he's pretty good. Like usually I, he, he going to listen to this. I'm like, ah, oh, man, you, you finally giving me some respect now, but I, he got it, man. I, I would never tell him that uh, as long as we were, you know, younger. But he he got it. He can play. Like he's he's an animal, um, and that that played a part in me wanting to guide him because I'm like, you know, all money in, like they say, why not? Why not us? All you're gonna do is just give it to somebody else who you know mm -hmm. gonna have the same certifications and capacity that I got. You know, now if that person. Obviously, I, I, I completely, you know, don't want to say you can't defer to somebody who has the experience. But I think I put my time in. He recognized that. And he knew that I would stay true to him. So why not me? Absolutely. Yeah. So being in the sports agent game, what is something that unexpected that you ran into? Like, it's one of those things you can't learn until you're actually a sports agent. Uh, what Meek say is levels to this ish. <laughs> levels. It's levels. Um, I'm going to say it one more time for, for anybody else who want to do this. It's levels to this. And I don't want to uh, make you run away from this. I don't I don't want to uh, like scare you at all. But it's levels to this because it's a lot of money involved. It's a lot of people involved. And when you have that, you need to be ready, you need to be cautious, you need to stay on point because everybody out to get somebody and you can let your ambition mislead you. You know, mm. like the, the Bible has a, a I'm, a, I'm not going to quote it verbatim, but it's a, it's a, my favorite book is Proverbs because I'm always seeking wisdom and discernment daily. Like, I feel like that's the biggest, biggest thing in this world that we living in that we need. 
And when it's like when you're dining with rulers, so people of greater stature with you, and they're showing you foods and wines mm-hmm. and things like that. Obviously, they they're relating it to 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 the the Old Testament days, but when they're giving you things that that make your eye be like, oh man, mm-hmm. this in front of me, you need to keep a knife to your throat. And that stick that scripture stuck with me because I'm like, you know what? It's some stuff that people gonna put in front of you, and, and again, yeah. I'm a, that's how they wrote it in the old days. But how I relate it to this day, all money ain't good money. And that's what I took from that. I extrapolate that big time. Like I was like, all money ain't good money, and I kept it. And I learned that fairly quickly in the agency space because you're gonna get people who want to get paid. You're gonna get people who want to pay you for you for mm-hmm. for your services. And you you got to be careful with your personal brand because, you know, ultimately that's that's what is going to be the selling point for um, that respective client that you're going after. How important is it as a as an agent to kind of be selfless? Because you're you're not the main person. You're representing the main person. One hundred percent. You have to be because if you don't, you know, I think. This athlete, the modern athlete, is is very, very in tune with the business now. Like they know, like the generation behind you and I, that's the generation I feel like that's they're educated, but they also have that that business savvy. And they will pick up on that if you're for them or not. And honestly, that personal relationship is really, really what what is um gonna cement you long term with that individual whether it be a female athlete or or a male athlete because we all have the same license like agents that i'm speaking about because you, you got to take a test so that that competency at a minimum level is there but what what separates it from a deeper level than just that piece of paper mm-hmm. in that personal relationship and this is a this is a serve a service industry and if you're not that then ultimately it's not for you because you're gonna get calls, you're gonna get calls, man, on different time zones, because players are playing, you know, on the West Coast, East Coast, overseas, etc. And you gotta be ready. Cause you want them to feel like, hey, you know what? When I'm in dire straits, like when I'm on my back, I can call Mike. I can call, you know, uh anybody else on the team and they're gonna answer. I know you spoke about this a little bit, um, as far as just the diversity. And I know you spoke about just being around certain black attorneys and things like that, but how much diversity is actually fully in this field? Well, it's when I first came into it, it was it was very, very scarce. Mm-hmm. Um, since we've had, you know, the George Floyd situation, I felt like I it was a major shift in people's outlook in terms of putting people in positions of, of exposure and authority when they're qualified, even though, you know, they may not look like the norm. And I noticed that shift because you're seeing a whole, a lot more black head coaches in a lot of sports. You're seeing a lot of female coaches. You're starting to see a lot of black executives, you know, um, in front offices or teams. And I'm grateful for that because also, you know, my, my last leg, you know, if if God wants me to be an agent forever, that's cool. But I'm journeying to get to that that side because 
that's a unique position. Like that majority of everybody I came up with, they were just the jersey wear. And I'm trying to be more than a number. Like I don't I don't want kids to feel like they need to just run to the field or run to the court. Like we could be up in the skyboxes. We can make be making the decisions, you know, about these respective organizations. What better people than us when we make up majority of the the population that's that's playing the sport? Literally, we're the makeup. Like I think what NFL, I don't want to quote the statistic correctly, but the NFL is predominantly 90%, you know, African-Americans, NBA is 89, you know, because they have a stronger international base. But to answer your question, it would be all of those things. So do you think you've like pretty much transitioned your passion for actually hooping into being an agent? Yes, big time. Mm -hmm. I really did. And, and 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 I think that's what makes it not work for me because I've taken a sport, although I'm not playing in it, I'm still around it. And, you know, it also helped me be able to, to relate to my clients, you know, being that former athlete, you know, and, it, and it's really honestly like I'm so grateful for it because not a lot of people get be able to do what they love or have a passion for, you know. Did you think that like, because I see so many, so many people specifically in like black households, like first generation, they think that if hoop dreams don't come true, life is over. And I think one of your story is so unique and so dope because you are the continuation of what can happen after a hoop dream. And I think that's so dope and it's so important because I, I run into youth all the time and trying to explain to them at 17 or 18 that you can do something else if this don't work out. Nah, I'm going to the league. Okay. Uh, you might not. Right. I appreciate you talking with us today because, I mean, mm -hmm. your your story is so important. Yeah. Because truthfully, <laughs> it ultimately just came down to, you know, like what was besides the love of the game, but what why we play? We want to make money. Man, uh, and I should have said that for that, for that kid who's having that same mindset, like how you just said, when I looked at some of these salaries that these coaches and these executives make, I'm like, oh, and I don't got to worry about going out there and getting hurt or or <laughs> or or um, messing myself up. I, I'm like, oh, I'm comfortable. That was ultimately the main thing outside of the love of the game. It was to be financially comfortable. And when I did my research, I'm like, you know what? I'll be all right. I may not be a billionaire. I mean, hey, maybe I could be the first billionaire agent. You know, that could be possible. But it it um it really dawned on me like, yo, I, I could do this. I really could. How important do you think it is for the athlete to educate themselves? Education is important, not from just a, I don't want to think people should just uh, deviate kids to books. Books is an important piece of it. But my great grandma, race, God bless her soul, told me, you know what, baby, there's three types of knowledge in this world. And mm -hmm. I hope, you know, anybody who, who listening to this receives, there's three types of knowledges in this world. And if you got all three, you're going to be a bad mother. 
<laughs> that's what she told me. <laughs> you can be book smart, so that's school. Street smart, you gonna know how to move. You gonna know what the what the what what um what things to 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 not be a part of, who to be around, and it's faith. Because if you rooted in faith, you are gonna get the storms like how I had. You gonna you gonna be able to take rejection. You're going to be able to take failure and be okay and know that, hey, you know what? I could get through this. So it's to me, it's three knowledges, and I keep that for, for, for forever with myself. Maybe there's more. I ain't got the four, five, and six, and ten. If you find, keep adding to it. But at a base level, if you got all three of those things, I'm finding that you will be all right. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who's in your – in the position you were in, they were transitioning out of the sport or having to find a new direction, they got to pivot. What kind of advice would you give them? Uh, stay true to yourself. Um, I think in this world, you know, just my opinion, my personal opinion, with TikTok, Instagram, all these different, there's an information overload. And because of that information overload, people are losing sight of who they are. You know, it's so easy to just look up somebody or double tap this and live vicariously through people because there's a window that's being shared for everybody to be a part of somebody's life. And in, and in, and in doing so, you lose sight of who Michael Burtz is. And that's why I, I use social media as a tool. It is either for motivational purposes, which is okay if I'd be like, dang, you know what? Hove just did what? Uh, 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 Brian just did what? LeBron, like Maverick just did what? These are people I follow to just to look up to for motivational purposes because you know what? Hey, these brothers that's killing it, I know I can get, get it too. And the second thing would be like, I use it as a tool to, to motivate the person behind me, you know, because people watch each other now. There's There's no... There's no um, secret about that. So you got to be careful what you, you pouring out because you're charged with the fact that, hey, if somebody, you know, who, who may not have that strong capacity or that, that, that spiritual connection that you have, if they seeing you doing it, they going to follow you and be like, hey, Mike doing it? All right, it must be cool then. You know, so I think that's the biggest things for me, biggest advice I can give to um, you know, somebody who out there listening, stay true to yourself. And lastly, you know, wrong one built in the day. I know it sounds cliche, but with all of these different <laughs> medicines and stuff, I hear people are living longer than you know they they have in years past. So if you don't get it today or tomorrow, don't worry about it. It's gonna come. You don't know where your blessings gonna come from. Like start planting seeds because it could be two years from now. Like I haven't seen you since we graduated. And I was like, oh, you know, family need me on the interview. I'm gonna do it. Like easy. All you had to do was send it. It was nothing. The only thing we needed to do was, was get a date. That was it. You know, so it's things like that that you don't know. You really don't know. And hey man, that's love. And I just want you to know if you ever need me. Definitely return the favor. It's all love, always. Sure. But thank you so much for sitting down with us. Again, mm -hmm. this, I'm T. Hardaway. I'm Michael Basile. 
and we are the Did It For The Hood podcast. I think that's the perfect place to wrap it up. Catch us every Tuesday on all major platforms. Like, subscribe, and share with your friends. Okay.